software marketing agency. We've been in uh, we've been in the North Shore for about twenty years. Prior to this, I started another in-house agency uh, within a large media company, and maybe we'll talk about that later on. Um, but it's it's the the tenants have been the same uh, for both agencies, and that is everyone here works to understand our our clients' business challenges, and we apply really interesting critical thinking with both our in-house strategy and marketing expertise as well as a tranche of tremendous subject matter experts who are brought in uh, and they specialize in very specific market segments. Hey, it's Zach from Boston Speaks Up. That's the voice of Cam Brown. Cam is the CEO and founder of Kingfish, a media agency north of Boston located in Beverly, Massachusetts. Really clever business model. They have a small full-time team in Beverly, and then a 600-person subject matter expert consortium that they tap to create custom content solutions for Fortune 500 brands. I've gotten to know Cam over the last few months um, because Beverly, Mass. is my hometown, and you don't always meet uh, big multi-million dollar media agencies uh, in Beverly. So um, was really uh, cool to get to know Cam over the last over the summer, and and then get to have this conversation and share it with the community. Enjoy. Silicon Valley Bank is a proud sponsor of Boston Speaks Up. For more than 35 years, Silicon Valley Bank has helped innovative companies and their investors move bold ideas forward fast. SVB provides targeted financial services and expertise through its offices at 53 State Street in downtown Boston and in Newton and innovation centers around the world. With commercial, international, and private banking services, SVB helps address the unique needs of Boston's innovators. Learn more at svb.com. Zach Servideo here from Boston Speaks Up. I'm here with Cam Brown, the founder and CEO of Kingfish. Cam, how are you today? I'm doing great, Zach. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm, yeah. I'm looking at you. We're you know roughly, maybe slightly less than six feet apart. Yeah. We are both vaccinated, but we <laughs> are in person. And this is my first in-person interview since the start of the pandemic listeners it doesn't mean that i'm going to be off on like a tear um doing in-person interviews left and right it just so happens that cam brown and i both um work uh in beverly massachusetts uh, cam lives in topsfield i live in beverly we've had the chance to um become friends over our love of media uh fatherhood the ocean and many other things and since we're friends that have spent time together, I consider Cam you to be uh, in my pod um, of people that I'm very comfortable with being in this enclosed room and recording this podcast today. So um, with that out of the way, um, it's really nice to be here in person with you. Yeah. And um, for listeners, I think it'd be really neat just to give a bit of context, just top line on what Kingfish is, just so folks uh, understand sort of currently what you do professionally. And I think what they'll find perhaps even more interesting is just sort of your journey to, to how you got to, to, to this point in your life. Yeah, I got it. Thanks. And thanks for being here. I really, I really appreciate it. It's a fun way to do it. Uh, and it is good to have people here. You know, we do have clients that are sneaking back in again. Uh, you know, we're starting to, we're starting to have work sessions here and, and that's really encouraging. Uh, it's also really energizing for our team. Um, you know, we are, I think we're at our best, all of us, when we're face to face and, you know, when we're, when we're listening well, 
Uh, and that and that's sort of a tenant over here. You know, with our clients, it's it's always a marketing agency that focuses on understanding your business challenges first. Uh, heck of a lot easier to do sitting across the table from someone. Um, and you and I have spent enough time together in the last several months that uh, I'm very comfortable with having you here. And, and so is everyone nice. else who's walking by and waving at you through the glass <laughs> here. Um, so we're a marketing. To answer your question, we're a marketing agency. We've been in uh, we've been in the North Shore for about 20 years. Prior to this, I started another in-house agency uh, within a large media company, and maybe we'll talk about that later on. Um, but it's it's the the tenants have been the same uh, for both agencies, and that is everyone here works to understand our our clients' business challenges, and we apply really interesting critical thinking with both our in-house strategy and marketing expertise, as well as a tranche of tremendous subject matter experts who are brought in, uh, and they specialize in very specific market segments. So, you know, we come in as consultants, we come in as strategists, we come in as your marketing lead, and then we execute on you know, whatever business solutions we draw. Great. And what, what just, what are a few examples of clients or types of clients that you work with at Kingfish and the types of content and sort of projects well, you take on? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really broad. Um, and that's by design, yeah. you know, um, it's fun that way. It's a lot more fun that way. <laughs> you know, we, we get to learn a lot and our clients get to be influenced from, you know, other industries. And one, one of the, one of the downfalls I've seen in my career has been when you're in one industry and people are really myopically focused on using the same language and the same solutions and the same tactics, it gets a little white, you know, a little bland. Uh, but we don't take that approach. Uh, you know, even for you know a pharmaceutical client, we might bring in some financial services best practices. For a retail client, we might bring in some best practices from education, um, and and that makes our people really fresh. And I think it's why they're so smart, is they have to be able to bob and weave pretty quickly to understand their clients' businesses, um, and the solutions that we're you know developing may result in a new website. Um, for someone which really thinks about a website from the perspective of, hey, it's 2021, it's not 2005. Uh, people consume information differently. They're in a rush to get to a certain payoff. So how do we accelerate that process for them? It might be some form of digital outreach like an ebook or a webinar or webcast or some form of digital campaign that's using social media. Uh, it could be a very visual treatment. You know, we do a lot with video. We do a lot with infographics. It just, it depends on what the challenge is for our client and where their audience is consuming information. That's great. We, we don't carry one solution in our bags act. You know, we, we, we listen, we understand, um, and we do our homework to understand audience behavior. Yeah. The, it sounds like the constant is sort of creativity. Yeah, and, absolutely. And, 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 and creativity by definition is sort of never the same and not a one size fits all. I love the way you said that. Yeah. And and our creatives go beyond, you know, Dylan who runs yeah. our studio downstairs and, and Megan and their team, you know, our account people are extraordinarily creative. Yeah. You know, they really are wired to think in terms of how are we going to help you, the client stand out. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's a hell of a thing when everyone comes together and we're working on client business together. I mean, there is, there is a lot of ideation and, and power in that room. Nice. One thing uh, I, I want to kind of dig, dig into your background sure. a little bit, but before that, I, <laughs> I do for, for listeners and selfishly as as a, as a still new Beverly resident. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just over two years for for my family having moved here. Um, 
I love Beverly and I find it to be vibrant and I believe there will be even more sort of um, business and innovation coming to this area, but there already is. Like I talked to North Shore InnoVentures yeah. and, and Chris Ilsley um, uh, a while back, who's actually in this, not this structure, but he's in coming center, like yep. the next structure over. Um, and that's like the biggest um, biotech lab um, in Massachusetts, I believe, if, if not the biggest, it's one of the biggest. Um, I'm curious how you've, what you think is the somewhat of an advantage to, to being in Beverly versus Boston, especially relative to your thoughts on creativity. You have, um, you know, some creatives, you have some account executives, you have different types of talent, but I've tapped more into my creativity being a bit removed from like the the sort of concrete of the city mm-hmm. um, and Beverly is just beautiful. So I'm curious, like what advantages and perhaps you can speak to disadvantages of being in Beverly versus Boston. I mean, it's not that far away. And then I'm curious also how's Beverly changed over the mm. last two decades, because I've you know, only been here a couple of years. And yeah. I think for a lot of listeners that are, uh, I'm finding this is a new trend, by the way, that, that people are bidding on rents in Boston. That sucks. Yeah, I don't want to be part of that. Yeah, like it, like it, like a, like a four, like a three bedroom apartment that's going for four grand, and you offer four grand, and then you find out someone bid, you know, forty eight hundred. Yeah. Um, it brutal. just it just keeps getting more and more brutal just to afford being in Boston, yeah. and and you can make pretty strong and compelling argument that a Salem or Beverly, um, right in the water, twenty five minute sort of train ride in the city um, is not necessarily like an alternative, but also sort of like perhaps a better option. So um, anyways, off my Beverly tangent, back to you. What what are you, what are your thoughts on this area of the state and how it's changed the last two decades and how would you describe it um, to folks that are maybe starting out in their careers that mm-hmm. haven't ventured to the North Shore? Well, okay. Um, there's a lot in there. Uh, we've always been on the North Shore. And that's been by design. Uh, and the reason for that, you've, you've, you've hit on a bunch of them. You really have. Um, but one of the things that I feel very strongly about is sort of the well-being of our employees and, you know, making sure that employees are getting something more out of life, you know, than coming here for 10 hours a day. And physically, it's a beautiful town. You, you, you mentioned that. Uh, we're on the water. Um, you know, we're, we're an easy pop into Boston, all that good stuff. Um, but it also allows you during lunch or when you need to take a break, get some air, whatever the case is to do it in a pretty nice environment. You're not dodging, you know, street traffic, you know, it's not loud. It's not concrete jungle type stuff. Um, we've got trees, we've got all those things that kind of energize people. Uh, so that's nice. Um, it's also, I think, really nice for folks who live Boston North to do the reverse commute. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I don't mean this in any you know, negative way, but the last 18 months has, has shown us a lot of change in Boston. And it's still you know, struggling to find its way and, and sort of repopulate uh, both uh, professionally as well as uh, people who live there. And as you pointed out, man, oh, man, it's it's expensive. So. I look at the whole picture 
not just what are you going to be doing from you know eight to five thirty, but what is, what does that whole picture look like? And I think there's an awful lot to be said for opening your window and getting some fresh air. Um, I literally look for a building where every single window opens. Uh, in our office prior to this one, same thing. Every single window opened, and you know that's from a from a creative and from a thoughtful perspective. I feel is very important. I could be wrong, but uh, it's just the way I think. It's the way I think about it. Um, most of our staff does live north of Boston. Um, you know, we've we've got folks who commute up, but most of our staff lives this way. And you know, I like that. Every now and then there are kids running around the office. You know, I like that every now and then there are animals running around the office because people live five minutes away and brought them in. I like that. I think that's good for everyone's psyche. You know, it's definitely good for mine. That's great. I love that. Um, thank you. I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And and I'm curious, sort of, you ended up in, you know, Beverly, you know North Shore, Boston. You live in, you live in Topsfield now. So you start. We we did a we did our typical sort of pre podcast questionnaire, and I didn't even know. I didn't even. I may have known this from just chatting with you over the last few months. But so you grew up outside of Philadelphia mm-hmm. near Valley Forge. Yeah. Um, I knew just from getting to know you. I know I know you're a family guy, and and one thing I sort of why I, I'm drawn and relate to you is because we're similar, sort of like and how sort of family first and yep. like to do things with our family and you've spent time um on some really interesting projects um working with your family like building houses which makes even more sense to me now given some of the uh work you've done earlier in your career <laughs> building houses um but for listeners kind of describe like the start of that journey just you know beginning with your childhood like what was it like what's valley forge like you know and and what what was um you know what was the community like sure. and, and what what was your you know how would you describe your, your childhood I had a great childhood um, and growing up outside of Philadelphia was, you know, it was, it was dynamite. I have, I have no regrets. Uh, I certainly don't look back on it with anything but positive memories. Um, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I, I grew up, the actual name of the town is Devon and, you know, it was a, a very, you know, beautiful, relatively upscale part of the world. Um, and, and I had a very solid family. You know, my parents instilled extraordinary values in us as kids. And even though we were growing up in a relatively affluent area, um, we sort of missed all that. You know, Um, it wasn't what guided us. It wasn't what you wore and what you drove and where you lived and all that stuff. They they really helped us understand the importance of friends, um, you know, taking care of neighbors and being around people, you know, that might need help more than you do. A uh, hell of a work ethic they put into, you know, the three kids. I've got a brother and sister, and they're all very successful at what they do. And that can definitely be traced back to my parents and, you know, the way they said, hey, look, we're not going to give you everything you want. If you want it, go work for it. And, you know, we all worked at a very young age. Um, I will tell you that probably the best thing that came out of Philadelphia is, is my buddies I'm still good friends with. I know it's a little sappy, um, but... You know, the reality is that I, I start most days on a text string with seven guys from Philadelphia who I still consider among you know the greatest people I know. And it's it's a terrific way to keep in touch with people, to keep the sense of humor going that, you know, we all started in third grade together. Um, maybe that's a little over the top at this point, but God, it makes me feel good. It's a, it's a heck of a way to start the day. And, uh, you know, they are all very interesting to follow in their own rights. 
you know? Um, and I think they too had instilled in them a really good sense of priority with, you know, family and work ethic and, uh, they continue to be valuable to me. So probably yeah. way too much on no, Philadelphia, but you got me a little nostalgic. I, no, there. I like, no, I like it. We, this is part, part of Boston Speaks Up is getting to sort of understand and get, get to know the leaders of, uh, you know, with connections to Boston and, and where you grew up and kind of, I think what, if, 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 if Boston Speaks Up does one thing, I think it does a lot of things, but one thing is it sort of helps people just become relatable. Okay. Like your, your, you know, your child is going to relate to some people and it's going to be different from other people. So it's going to help sort of just, you know, kind of share, you know, sharing those perspectives, um, I think can really help, help listeners. A uh, couple thoughts. One yeah. is, I know you're into music. Yeah. Seven guys from Philly just sounds like a great jam band. <laughs> Uh, I, do, do you guys play any instruments there? Did, did, so, did the seven so, guys from Philly? Yeah, one, one of my buddies is a lights out drummer. Uh, he was <laughs> he was when we were kids, and and he still is today. And I think one of his kids is, has gotten the bug. Um, I was uh, okay keyboardist. Um, you know, I can't make too much about that, but uh, you know, I still a couple glasses of wine will go bang away on the piano, and you know, really enjoy myself. Um, do we all jam together? No, because Rich was really only the one capable yeah. of doing that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Well, it's a good name for Ben. It is. It is. My, <laughs> so, so to relate here, uh, I similarly have a group of friends I've known forever. Um, certainly, you know, second, third grade is when it really picked up. Like it sounds yeah. like for you, I had a fantasy football draft last night. Yeah. Me at this point in my life, 36, I'm a little less, I, I'm not disinterested. I'm just maybe more focused on other things. Yeah. So like not as up, not as up to speed or, or dialed in the fantasy football as it once was. Um, so I discovered I had a fantasy football draft last night at about eight <laughs> 15. Uh, the draft was at like eight 30. Uh, so thankfully one of my really good buddies I grew up playing soccer with was like, Hey man, like who are your keepers? And I was like, Oh dear God. I, I don't know. Uh, who should my keepers be? And he's like, you know, so-and-so and so-and-so. I'm like, great. Those sound good. He's like, oh, do you trust me? I'm like, of course I fucking trust you. Like, I've, <laughs> I've known you since, you know, first, second grade. So it's it's all good. Um, and ha But having like friends in your in your life and our lives that you've known forever, I think I think that's, um, it's really powerful. It gives me a lot of comfort, um, you know, especially, you know, raising kids, you know, even yeah. when I'm raising a, a daughter, she's four and just so happens that several of these friends in this fantasy football group that are my really good buddies and they were groomsmen in my wedding all had daughters. So cool. we all, so good for you. all had daughters. Actually, the buddy who reminded me about the draft is the commissioner of the draft. His daughter was born on the same exact date um, as my daughter one year later. Um, That's awesome. So, yeah. So I just, you, you, you get me excited um, and a bit emotional uh, in a good way, like just thinking about how, how, um, powerful it can be to just, you know, have, you know, constant, um, friendships in your life yeah. for so long. And they just, you know, they, they become and are a part of your family. So it, I think, I think that's huge. I imagine that that's also translated to being, uh, creating extra special relationships for your, for your kid, for your children, because you, you have, you know, grown children and, and their relationships with, you know, the, the seven guys from Philly. It's, you know, what's really cool. It, there's nothing better than seeing your kids interact, you know, with, with your friends. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got, I've got one buddy, he's not part of that crew, but I've got one buddy, uh, college friend, you know, who is storing one of my kids boats. Right. And 
he's got this beautiful old barn up in New Hampshire and my son got transferred and said, geez, I, I, what am I going to do with this? So he called him up and they, you know, worked a deal and, uh, you know, to watch them sort of negotiate, how's this going to work and the detail of it. I loved it. I shut up, I let it happen, yeah. you know, and boom, you know, they figured it out. It's, it's a clumsy example, but it's the kind of thing that I get really happy about. And, and it, it's really fun to see those interactions. Uh, the last thing I'll say about sort of that whole Philadelphia yeah. type, um, obviously we're, we're just sort of finishing up the remnants of this big storm that came up the coast, Ida. Yeah. And, you know, this morning I saw 30 different pictures of sort of the devastation that Philadelphia has right, right now. I mean, like South Jersey, I saw there's houses, sides of houses are gone. 100%. Like, yeah. They got brutalized by this. And, you know, it, it, it sort of brings you back to your roots and it brings you back to the stuff. I'm like, geez, I used to drive down that road every day, blah, blah, boom. Um, and do you ever it, remember tornadoes ripping through that part of the world? Is no, that? no, I don't. I, I don't remember really awful, awful things happening. You know, maybe we, that's age, but uh, no, it, it's a lot more intense now. You, you can't argue it. I mean, there's, there's a lot. The more, climate may be shifting. I think we have to kind of admit that. Yeah. You know, and that's not a political statement one way or the other. It's opening your friggin' eyes. And it's not subjective. Happening. It's objective. Were you hot this summer? Yeah. I was hot. Yeah. I didn't think living yeah. in New England. I was yeah. swimming in Maine two weeks ago. The water was 68, 69 degrees. Yeah. As a little kid, I was scared of the water. It's yeah. too cold. Yeah. The, the pattern changes are irrefutable. 100%. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, I'm actually, I'm glad you brought that up because I, when I was going through the questionnaire and seeing outside Philly, I, I also was hit with that, um, I had a, you know, yeah. related tornado yeah. update from, from yesterday. I just saw like, you know, roofs of houses were gone and, yeah. you know, people were, sounds like not too many, you know, a lot like, but broken bones. It sounded like a lot of like injuries and devastation, but, but people were able to, to seek cover, um, you know, some coverage and, and safety. Um, during the storm, but did, did you know anyone or any oh, families impacted by it? Not, you know, in, in a terrible way, but in an inconvenient way. And then it's going to take them a couple of days to dry out and pull stuff out of their basement. Yeah. Fix some pumps and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, the Schuylkill river is still rising to historic levels right now. And, and that's going to impact a lot of the low lying towns there. Um, so, you know, as, as an empathetic person, my heart definitely goes out to people who are, dealing with tough stuff and yeah we have our share of it up here too it's yeah it's just the way things go so let's talk about yeah. first job yeah and, and let's talk about sort of i mean even before like i mean it sounds like you want to be a journalist pretty early on but yeah. like t you, you mentioned your parents and still the hard work sure. ethic in you so like just curious about like some of the you got it. random jobs that you had. Let's go. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. I was that little yeah. kid with a paper route yeah. and a bag over my Same shoulder here. and a bicycle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I did that for about three years. How many pa how many houses on your paper route? I would have to guess at this point. Let's say fifty or sixty. Yeah. They must have that must have been their peak max, because I think ours was I, I remember it was like fifty, fifty five was yeah. about what the I houses had. were tight together, so it wasn't yeah. hard and everyone yeah. got the paper. Yeah. Uh, collection day was, was always fun. Yeah. You're hoping for that. It's actually, tip. when you think about it retrospectively, it's an, it's an interesting role to throw like a 12, 13 year 100%. old in collecting money from people. And you don't know people's situations, but sometimes people are like, all right, the last thing I'm going to pay if I'm <laughs> strapped on cash is the 13 year old kid with like the bike with, yeah. with my case, like the bike with pegs on it. Yeah. Who's like riding around with his little annoying, you know, 11 year old brother. And yeah. I say annoying. Cause like 
my brother would be doing some pretty silly things when I was delivering the paper route um, and driving these people crazy. And they'd be like, hey, like, can I have your money? Um, okay, so you had a paper route. Yeah, it was a good one. Uh, and then when I was, you know, about 16, I started working for a guy who brought uh, hot dog carts to private parties. And I know everyone hears that for the first time. They're like, well, I don't really get it. It was so much fun. It was a great business. He did. He, he, he had a great idea and did very well with it. It's called Street Corner Cuisine. And we would dress the part. We show up in black tie. Uh, all the anyone who served was very well, you know, dressed and put together. And it was, yeah, it was kitschy, but we made, you know, we we made a lot of different kinds of food. Uh, so, you know, I went to parties, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, and uh, you know, met tons of people, interacted with all kinds of people. Every now and then, you know, it'd be my friend's parents would be throwing a party and I'd show up and that was always, you know, awkward for me, but fun for them. And yeah. then it all got cool. Uh, but that was a really fun job. I like that one a lot. The, the types of job, like my wife and I always say we both worked in the uh, hospitality sort of restaurant, more the restaurant business. Uh, it's a good, it's like a humbling experience. Like you, you know, you work hard, you, uh, you understand the importance of like, suppressing your ego a bit and being like empathetic to others mm. needs. Um, I find the hospital, like hospitality and, and sort of um, restaurant industry or industries um, to be particularly important for young people to get some experience in. Um, I I really, if, if uh, it's, it sounds like it, it was, it was valuable experience for you. So when did you start gravitating towards media? So <clears throat> that was college. That was college. Yeah. And so, and not, close. not before college, like when you, you went to Hobart. I did. You met your wife at Hobart. Thank God. She saved you. <laughs> she put, she helped ground you. So what was, what was, we, Cam, what was Cam pre and post? Hobart was a really small yeah. school. Everybody yeah. kind of knew of each other. Yeah. I don't know, maybe 2,500 people, something yep. like that. And, and she was really cute. So I knew of her. That was, that was pretty easy. Um, we started dating our senior year, um, but we started dating, uh, when I came back from logging in Vermont for the summer. So I went from sort of, you know, looking like too much beer and too much pizza to, I was fit for the first time in my life, man. I came back from logging in Vermont. I felt good. Uh, so we started dating, uh, you know, that fall or whatever. And she was really good for me in college. I, you know, pre and post, I mean, college is fun. Yeah. You know? um, but she, she definitely taught me a lot about life skills, which I had pretty much ignored, you know, as a single guy. And, you know, she lived in an apartment and she and her roommate had, had like a nice apartment. And I was three years in a fraternity and had sort of missed, you're supposed to take care of yourself and keep clean. Yeah, and all, that, all that yeah, usual yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, I figured that out pretty fast with her. Yeah. You know, um, and maybe you started having meals where like a napkin ended up. It's on so your funny lap. you'd say that. It is so funny you'd say that. <laughs> so um, while I always think my manners have been good, I didn't really need to deploy them you yeah. know, most of the time. But she would cook these incredible meals. And in college, an incredible meal is something pretty special. You know, no, no offense to my yeah. cook at the fraternity, but yeah. it was horrible. Right. You know? And she would cook these great meals. And I realized I was kind of falling in love with the package. You know, she was a great person, is a great person. It was, is, is really fun to be around and could cook like hell. Yeah. I mean, wow. Incredible. And that's only gotten better by the way. Nice. Yeah, it's good. It's good. 
I gotta get over to the brown house and you come, up, you come cook, over right? anytime for a meal. You yeah. come over anytime. Yeah, I do. I um I do all the cooking in the Superdio residence. Mm-hmm. My my wife will bake, but I will say, but similarly, my wife it shared, um, instilled in me all the uh, the importance of of rules and etiquette, uh, in particular around the dinner table. I mean, mm-hmm. I honestly don't know if I, re- I had maybe on one hand you can count the amount of times I'd put a a table setting like a napkin on my lap right. at, at dinner and and you know she she uh or made my bed um so yeah i imagine it sounds like your it sounds like your wife uh that senior of college helped get you ready for for uh all that the real world had um had in store for you because you get out into um business and and sort of you start meeting with uh you start meeting with businesses, you start going on interviews and yeah, you have to be pretty buttoned up. Um, Obviously you can get to a point where you're in your career where you maybe can loosen up a little bit. I'm curious, like what, what happened, you know, what was your, what were your career prospects graduating from Hobart and what was sort of, what did, what, what did you desire? What type of jobs were you going for? Like, Where'd you land? How'd you like it? Um, you know, you have this advice for young people that find a find a good job for you that that gets you excited and stay there for at least a couple and a half years. Yeah. Um, is that what you did? Like, describe what you did after college. Yeah. So um, I, I was an English major um, and am a good writer and I'm a critical reader. Um, and I thought, well, I guess I'll be a writer. Makes sense. Um, so I interviewed for a couple of different journalist jobs. Um, and that was, I was, I was really thinking that was it. Um, and as I got to sort of go to these newspapers and magazines and, you know, talk to publishers and sales managers, um, and editors, I realized I was kind of gravitating towards the sales manager side more than the editor side. Mm-hmm. Um, I had, I had a really good opportunity that in hindsight was probably a mistake not to take with National Geographic that would have given me some travel and, and I would have seen the world and, and done some great stuff writing 25 word, you know, descriptions of images, you know, uh, for the different, for the different, uh, trips. So, so, so just on that yeah. one for a second. So the national geographic opportunity yeah. was writing captions 100%. for, for photos. Yep. Yeah. But I would have gone and you would have on been those on various site. trips and I'm like, well, geez, so it was an, the it stuff was you a, learn later. An experiential role. It would have been. It would have been, but what I I did not do is pursue that. So, and I graduated and ended up building houses for about eight months. Um, You know, I went out to Nantucket to, you know, have some fun and and get a short-term job out there and ended up just loving it and staying. Um, And again, you know, my wife, Colleen, uh, moved to Boston and got a, you know, quote unquote, real job, you know, with with a management consulting firm. And I saw that. And I aspired to it. You know, I love building. I love building houses. It was terrific. I worked with really wonderful people, and I learned a lot of really good life skills. Um, but I, I did want to get into marketing. I wanted to get into sales. Um, so you know, I'd, I'd moved to Boston and uh, you know, started that career, and you know, haven't looked back since. I mean, I've been building on that since 1987. Nice. So talk about the experience you had at. Ziff Davis, yeah, in particular. Well, great spot, great spot. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to have spent you know 11 years there, and I would say the number one thing benefit that I got. Well, that's not true. I got a number of different benefits out of Ziff Davis. Ziff Davis 
made their bones by being a specialized content provider, you know, so they were sort of, you know, the early print version of cable TV, you know, they had their technology, they had their aeronautic, they had their, you know, very specific verticals. And for each one of those, they had a sales training process that was gold. I mean, it was terrific, still applicable today as, as any good process is. Um, so they taught you a process which would help you understand your client's challenges, would help you listen, would help you solve problems while following a very specific formulaic path so that when it came time to talk about what it was you were bringing to the table and what it was you were going to use to help them sell their products, services, et cetera, you know, you had, you were in a great place with a prospect. And, you know, that's something I never forgot. Every employee who comes in here, regardless of what they do, I show them a version of, you know, based on that process. And I very quickly say, I learned this from Ziff Davis. It works. And it's a way to think about your clients. It's not about you. It's not about Kingfish. It's about them and their business and go down this path with them. You will you know, gain their trust and they'll realize you are listening to them and it will train you to be a better account design strategist, marketing person. That's fascinating. So, I mean, Ziff Davis, I, I'm new of, um, know of given its, um, presence in media over the last two decades, obviously recently J J two global yep. resurrecting the, the Ziff Davis brand and having this mandate to make a bunch of deals, which I, which I'd love to talk about, but, but kind of double clicking on what you just said, what year was it you were at Ziff Davis when you started, how big was the organization yeah. then? And it to who or, or what group, is there like a, a small group of people or a particular leader that who, who sort of instilled those yeah. best practices at Ziff Davis? Cause it, it, it sounds more like similar to what your, your wife, the, the world your wife was in, like, it sounds like you got a bit of a management consulting um, Definitely. education at, at Ziff Davis that, that I wasn't aware um, was, was the type of sort of uh, frameworks and discipline that, that you would get from, from Ziff you, Davis. You just totally connected the dots. I mean, that, that's exactly how, good job. That's, I've actually never really looked at it that way, but that's, that's a hundred percent right. Um, the, 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 the sort of presidents tops of the food chain over there, um, were publishers that they were the ones that were always my management. Um, and I had great ones. I had, I had really dynamite people to learn from and, you know, whether it was a, a national sales manager an associate publisher, a publisher, a group publisher, they were such talented individuals and, you know, they got to the top, not only because they could sell and they all could the best, best salespeople I've ever met. Um, but, they were also great managers of people and they knew how to figure out what made you tick. And instead of forcing, you know, a square peg into a round hole, they would work with what you were good at mm. and where your natural skill set was. They never said that's what they were doing, but that's what they were doing. And, you know, yes, did we go through brutal sales training and did we go, I worked for one publication over there it was a weekly. Um, and I think it was by 10 in the morning every Monday, you know, we had to have read that newspaper cover to cover and we could, we had to essentially be ready for a pop quiz, you know, for many of the managers on what was happening with one of the companies mentioned in there. Um, that teaches you something, man. That's, that's not passive soundbite learning. That is thoughtful, insightful study. And we had to do it quickly. Um, I, I, I consider that 
great training. Um, you know, I, I mean, I can name people if that's what you want, who I thought were, you know, extraordinary talents. Um, but almost to a person, the leadership of that company uh, was was really amazing. I started there, you asked, I started there in uh, 1990. Okay. How big was the company in 90? Revenue-wise, I mean, I would I would guess it was probably two or three hundred thousand, uh, two or three hundred million would be my wow. guess. When I left there, it was, it was over a billion. Um, so it grew. Now we had the launch of the internet and ZDNet in 1990, yeah. it was five or six. Uh, maybe it was earlier than that, four, 1994, 1995. And that exploded. Um, and we started to build other products uh, like webinars and, and early podcasts. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was a growth place to be. We were in technology, man. It was, it was, yeah, it, was neat. it was really cool. Cam Brown, the disciple of, of Ziff Davis, uh, takes on deeper meaning when you kind of get into this, this conversation a bit. So that, that's really, really helpful context. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious, like given your intimate understanding of, legacy Ziff Davis, sort of uh, Ziff Davis sort of transforming and transformed through sort of the that first tech, um, eventually, you know, tech bubble, but like, you know, 90s into 2000. Um, wh what are your thoughts about the resurrection of the Ziff Davis yeah. brand now? Um, and just, you know, speak, you know, can, catch listeners up on recently, like, um, Sort of the J two global um, both maneuver and also mandate um, to sort of build a, almost essentially a, a, a holding a modern kind of right. holding company through the through the Ziff Davis brand. I'm just curious, like, how does that excite you? And what are some of your any hypo, you know hypotheses as to sort of where you know Ziff Davis? I don't even know if you could say 2.0, you know, maybe 4.0 at this Keep point. Keep going. You know, Ziff <laughs> Davis 8.0, like, yeah. where, where do you think it's heading? Really interesting. Um, I mean, the iterations that I saw during my time there and obviously paying attention to them when I, after I'd left and started this place, um, you know, I, I sort of wax nostalgic about Philadelphia. I, I have similar feelings about Ziff. I really do. Um, and I, and I keep in touch with a number of the people from there because I respect them and I've learned, you know, I've learned a lot from them. I think what, um, is happening at J2 global and Vivek's vision is certainly all around internet enabled companies. Um, I think he's done 40 acquisitions, right. In the last 20 years or something, yeah. I think he's spent it's $3 billion or, or something like that. And when you have brands like Aberdeen and you have brands like retail me not, and you have brands like kickbox and Moe's, I mean, he's obviously looking at internet enabled companies. He's a MarTech guy, you know, and you, you can see where the focus is number of different verticals, which I think is really interesting. And what I like about J2 global soon to be Ziff Davis, in this, in this next couple of months, they're going to do the name change is he's looking for companies with long-term appreciation. He's not doing this to flip companies, Yeah, you know, and that to me is a really solid business practice. He's building, you know, he's not only doing this for shareholder value, like, you know, so many different funds do. That's not, mm -hmm. that's not what I see. So I have a lot of respect and a lot of interest in what's going on over there. It, 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 I think it's something we all need to pay attention to. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, slight, slight tangent, but I think it's, 
it's I, I do think it's tangential to what Zip Davis is doing, and, and you you and I have talked about this um, <laughs> offline. Um, I was just in for listeners just. Just waving to some of the Kingfish staff that's <laughs> that's, that's walking by, and, and Cam Cam's lovely wife just just waved hello. Um, but I want to bring up like S you know S four Capital. Mm-hmm. Like I've I've talked to you about them a bit. Sure. Um, you know Sir Martin Sorrell from WPP. Um, you know sort of famous you know founder who really pulled together and ran WPP for many decades, and then was you know sort of very publicly pushed out and now has S4 capital. I think initially a $750 million fund that that has been increased over, over the past several years, but it it just, in general, it seems like there's um, there's the, the sort of media holding companies of now and the future are being built. And, And I do, it's not lost to me to make the analogy to S4 capital because there's a lot of trend, there's a lot of change happening in media that's impacting oftentimes negatively sort of the agencies mm-hmm. um, and, and sort of like legacy agencies tied to like legacy holding companies. And so when you see like a, you know, Sir Martin Sorrell, WPP founder and CEO ousted, but building like a new modern media company to stand the test of time for many decades. And then I hear you share the Ziff Davis story and then talk about sort of the j2 global sort of you know now under what will soon be under the zip davis brand sort of long-term strategy as opposed to short-term um windfall sort of approach uh to me i think the alarm bells that are going off certainly for listeners that tune into this one they're like oh i want to get to know cam or i'm really interested in the media space like interested in agencies like these are the things you should care about um, because the, the future holding companies, or, or I should say, um, the, the future sort of like agencies and third party sort of, um, third party sort of agencies that will most impact, um, you know, business in the decades to come, they're being sort of coalesced together right now. Yep. Um, it's, we're, we're going through a pretty, pretty significant tra- transition. So I'm curious, like comment on that. But but also like comment on that vis-a-vis Kingfish and how you view your business relative to these trends and changes and some of the agency disruptions out there and then how you are sort of emb- you know, embracing what has been you know helped make Kingfish successful for two decades, but as you prepare to celebrate the twenty-year anniversary in November of your company. And want it to stand the test of time for another two decades. How are you also future proofing and preparing um, for a successful future, given all these changes and sort of these, I would say, like, they're not necessarily evolved models, the media company, media holding company models, but the types of businesses being acquired, the types of approaches that are being valued, programmatic uh you know cr- you know creative um separation like uh connected tv these are there's there's all there's this, this confluence of trends that came rapidly onto the scene in the last few years and i'm just curious how do you as a business owner in the space sort of prepare for the the years ahead and make sure that you have an 
ironclad strategy that will kind of not only survive, but really thrive through it all. So I, I, I think our strategy is ironclad and it's not accidental. It's very much, it's very much by design. And that strategy has always been to surround ourselves with individuals who know something we don't and to bring our clients something of great benefit. I mean, look, our job is to bring fresh eyes and future facing strategies to our clients. How do we do that every day? Well, we have really good people internally. We have people who understand that that's what we're being hired to do. It's when we bring in those third party experts based on what the need is, what the deliverable is for the client that we really shine. And you started off by talking about S4. And I think that model is very similar, you know? So we saw with large holding company media, media groups, we saw the Havases and the IPGs and just the, the biggest of the big out there, the inner publics, buying up a lot of small specialty shops, right? We've seen that for the last 12 years, 15 years. Um, and the challenge when you do that is you need to integrate successfully each of those different companies. And when your client has a need, you need to know which division of that holding company to go tap. And you need to empower that division to walk in, maybe not as as the lead, but someone who's going to help solve a specific challenge. And that's asking a lot. And that, frankly, it's just it's asking a lot for that to always be successful. And you float a lot of overhead. I was just about to get to that. So in (laughs) addition to that, it's expensive, number one. And obviously that cost has to be passed on. But the other thing, Zach, that's really interesting is as these holding companies have absorbed, purchased more and more specialty brands, unfortunately, that has meant reduction in staff. There's there's duplicity and duplicative, um, you know, people at these different companies. And that you see 7,500 layoffs here and 7,500 layoffs at Dentsu over there. Hate hate to see it. You know, you hate to see it in any industry. This is the one we love. So it's it's really hard to see. It means there's a lot of really good talent out there trying to figure out what's phase two, what's phase three for me. Um, we have spent 20 years identifying not just content and editorial expertise, but marketing strategists, photographers, designers, illustrators, yeah. you know, people who may have been you know, victims of, you know, some of that, some of that um, acquisition. But they're creators, they're makers. Absolutely. Yeah. And I want them. You know, because it's my job and this agency's job to figure out what's out there that we could bring to our client to to solve their problems even better. Mm -hmm. And Zach, if you are an illustrator who specializes in X, Y, Z, and I don't happen to have that under my roof, I got to meet you Mm -hmm. and I got to deploy you on my, on my account. So I think that, you know, Sir Martin has, knows that I know that he knows that. Um, And I think that this approach is a little bit different than what was going on prior and it's smart and it's savvy and it's something we should be paying attention to. Um, but in terms of future proofing, we're thinking about that. And I think this approach, and look, it's, it's something I'm saying the words out loud, you know, anyone listening to this who says, Hey, I can do that too. Have at it. The big world out there. There are, there are a lot of individuals out there 
But if you're going to do that, make sure you take the effort to really understand who it is you're talking to and what their needs are, what they're looking to do with their business. Do they want to be a standalone or do they maybe want to grow something bigger out of it? Can you provide services and help them do that? You know, if you want to be a really good partner, do more than just hire them for a week or two. Is it fair to say that where your business is both both purposeful and future-proofing in the same area? Like it's, I find the Kingfish model purposeful in that you have a great core team here in Beverly, but you have five, 600 subject matter experts yeah. that you kind of were just alluding to. They're, they're effectively like they're you know, 1099 consultants yep. that you're helping them get work. And there's an increasing number of, of sort of consulting uh, or, or free, call them freelance designers, writers, photographers, illustrators, et cetera, that Kingfish helps put to work. So I would say that that's, so that's the purposeful side. Like mm-hmm. you're helping put good people in positions to satisfy the unique needs that change rather quickly um, with, uh, with businesses, right? Client side. So there's like, so you're being purposeful, but then that's also giving you agility. So then here comes the future proof side. So you have, a pre-existing agility and sort of into the future, um, perhaps even an increasing agility with more folks laid off from agencies and creatives that exist in, in the market. Is it fair to say that if, if I'm a creative listening to this podcast right now, I should reach out to Cam Brown because there's work to be had. If, 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 if I, you know, connect in with, with Kingfish? And if so, how would they do that? And, and, and is that a fair, is that a fair assessment? Is that, do you, is that, is that the right sort of take on your mission being purposeful, but also like a bit of where your, um, your subject matter expert sort of portal, if you will, of folks that you can tap into mm-hmm. is that sort of, that to me seems like a really unique differentiator about Kingfish, but also an area where like, you have a great economy to scale and help many more people. And the more people you add to that stable, the more companies you can help. So is that, is that sort of the area of the business that you see um, you know, growing a lot in the months and years ahead? And then, and then would, would you encourage people to reach out to participate in that part of your business? Yep. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, we do have some critical mass, you know, we do have a number of, people we work with. Um, and I think it's incumbent on us as you know, agency managers, as humans to figure out what are their individual goals? You know, what are they trying to do? You don't just sign up. You don't just go to our portal and give us your information and you're in. You know, We're going to talk to you and we want to know what you care about. We want to know what your individual goals are. Um, we want to know if we can be helpful in that. You know, if by being helpful, that means that we bring you in uh, because you're the best person to work on, you know, a client for six months, nine months, 18 months, 24 months. Um, but we're also providing some benefit to you. Cool. We want to do that. Um, you know, we do. I, I, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, it's 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 a rip roaring, difficult interview process with us. But we ask a lot of questions. We go in pretty deep. We need to know, you know, what you get fired up about. We really do, because then we'll be able to help you as much as you're helping us with our clients. 
So, you know, the process is a very important one to everyone. I mean, I say it all the time. We can't put an ax murder in front of our clients. You know, we have to know what we're getting into by bringing you in to sit down across the table from a client and, and, and interact with them. You know, they hired us, not the individual. We're expanding the offering by bringing in extra talent. So this, this network is very important. The portal that we have, it's on our homepage. Uh, it's on, I think, the bottom left of our homepage. And go in there and, and, and fill it out, and that will trigger us getting in touch with you to have a conversation. Um, and, you know, that, that's how we start engagements. It really is. I speak to groups, different groups, um, and whether they're journalists or whether they're design groups, um, I tell them about Kingfish. I tell them what kind of marketing agency we are. And I say to them, we're looking for the following, the following, uh, qualities, credentials and people. If that's you, let's have a conversation. Um, it's, it's a great way to, you know, toss out the rope to see who needs help, who, who do we need to meet out there? Um, not everybody gets through, you know, there's some people who for some reason aren't a good match. Um, I love the people who, who want to build something. I find that fascinating. Uh, they tend to be, you know, a little more driven. Um, they, they understand our approach of business first strategy second. Um, and they, and they, they get into it. And when you say build, like, are they trying to build their own sometimes book of business? Or? No, some, sometimes they say, look, you know, I worked for this agency or I worked, you know, at this company and I, I lost my job, uh, but I'm a, I'm a hell of a hard driving individual. And, you know, I wouldn't mind having my own agency and I've got ideas and I've got an approach, but I don't really know how to put all the pieces together. Right. You know, is there a place we might be able to help them? Yeah, maybe. You know? Interesting. Yeah. And so they can sort of be a consultant and build their uh, essentially like their book of business through, you know, through through under the kingfish brand 100%. under the kingfish banner that's we really want those people i mean yeah. that's the profile we want and we want driven individuals right you know i look around outside here these are the most driven individuals i know and they're fantastic you know they yeah. come in and they want to make a difference and they bust it for their clients you know they work hard and they celebrate in their victories celebrating today at four o'clock if you want to come back nice you know come on back nice um yeah, we're celebrating some new employees and we're celebrating some new, you know, some new clients. So I was going to ask about that too, like just on the, on the full, on the full-time staff side of yeah. things. Um, so you're celebrating some new employees. Yeah, we've got some great new talent here. And, and, really and do exciting. You have, and do you have any additional full-time roles available now or have you recently So we, we did just staff up. Yeah. Um, you know, we very much have the model. We don't sort of expand and contract with new business coming and going. I, 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 I don't like that model. You know, it, the interview process is long and hard for everybody. It's hard on the candidate. It's hard on us um, because we put a lot of heart and soul into it. And we want to make sure we do it right. We want to make sure the match works really well both ways. And that's more than one conversation, you know. Um, so when when new folks come in, uh, we make, you know, the training is very important for us to get right. Uh, we don't want to scare them. Uh, we want them, you know, we want them to learn. We want them to learn about the accounts. We want them to learn our process. And I think most importantly, we want to learn from them. What are they bringing in here that we're not doing well now? And they can help us enhance. There is not an employee that's ever come here that hasn't brought something meaningful to us. Um, 
It could be a change in our you know weekly status process. It could be a change in vendors we use for you know internal systems. It could be you know a, a, a different approach to how we're building out websites. You know any any intelligence that comes in that helps us do us better, we're going to do it. Yeah. It doesn't matter what level you are. If you have a good idea, we're going to do it. So, you know, that whole getting to know you and getting to know your strengths is, is a very important part of ramping employees up. Nice. Cam, uh, as we kind of move towards um, wrapping up yeah. our conversation, there's a couple, um, couple things I want to ask you about sure. sort of, you know, just big picture. Like I, I'm just, and this could be, you know, personal, professional, what, what are you most excited, you know, what are you most excited about for the future? You know, in the next could be, you know, in the immediate term, something big happening in one of your, in your life or your kid's life or, or just, you know, what are you excited about, um, you know, for Boston or, or just, you know, society. Um, but what in, what in the next year, mm. t- decade, um, what stokes Cam Brown's fire yeah. and, and just, you know, your, I, I appreciate sort of your, your optimism in life. So what, you know, what, what are you sort of optimistic about for the future? You know, this is, uh, how about if I go on the personal side? Let's do it. You know, cause yeah. I think it, it, yeah. it, it bleeds into the professional yeah. side in a big way. Um, and look, I'm, I'm, I've raised three kids. Uh, they're all in their twenties and they're all successful and they're all chugging through life and kicking butt. And it's, it's really fun to see. And as I talk to peers, whether it's you or whether it's, you know, other friends of mine, you know, Oftentimes, sort of people have this hesitancy to to seed decision making and ideation to the next generation, right? We know better. That's going to fail. You're lazy. But, you know, whatever sort of you know, sort of the knee jerk reaction is, and I kind of look at it differently. You know, I'm really intrigued by and excited by what that generation is going to be bringing. You know, what new ideas, what new advances, what new approaches. Um, you know they are going to teach the rest of the world about the best path to follow. Um, you know, I, I, I like to think that people of my age, you know, have, have done what they needed to, to instill the right morals and values in the next generation. And now it's, now it's up to them, you know, and it's not up to us to say wrong, you got it all. What, what's the matter with you? You know, it's probably more up to us to understand what that new thinking is. I love that. You know, I, I will say I love fresh thinking. The only place that I'm not very good at it is with music. I, I just, I don't have an appreciation for music, newer music, the way that I do newer ideas. Um, that's a down, that's a, that's a fault of mine. And, and I try and work on it, but still not as good as real music. So, you know, when I see this generation doing cool things, I first try and get my hands around it and then I try and be a part of it. Yeah. And I think that probably happens in the digital space more than anything else. Nice. So that's a nice sort of uh, segue into like the, the last question I like yeah. to ask people, which is what is the biggest challenge, hurdle, obstacle that you feel is personally, you feel is one that the, the world needs to take on yeah. together? Uh, what do you think that is? I've got a pretty fast answer yeah. to that. I think about it a lot. You know, I've written about it. I talk about it a lot. So if anyone, you know, anyone who knows me knows where I'm going with this one right now. Um, the, the distribution of information, what we call information, and the amount of time we spend 
learning a subject well concerns me. I don't mean to say doom and gloom, and I think I think we're all going down the toilet. I'm not saying that, but you know, we have gone from an age of 2,000, 3,000 words to explain something to a soundbite generation, a soundbite world. And if I don't know the answer to something, I look it up, I get it in, in, a, in a fraction of a second, I can spit it out, I have that knowledge. But what I don't have is a fundamental understanding of what that answer means. Even more scary to me are, is, is the prospect of, of quickly getting an answer and then, and then pushing that answer out without really knowing what the heck you're talking about. And man, oh man, does that scare me. That scares me as a fan of politics and as someone who's been part of the political process for almost my whole life and, and who studies it and cares about it. It's, it's geopolitically, it really scares me. You know, what do people really know what's going on beyond the 50 contiguous state, the 50 states here? Um, that scares me. So, so I guess what I'm saying is the biggest challenge, I think, is getting people to take the time to research, to study, and to think. You know, you're a thoughtful guy. You and I have conversations. We riff out on all kinds of stuff. You know, you know what you're talking about. You also know the frustration of having a conversation with someone when they're not well studied, but they're trying to shove an answer at you. And you're like, you have nothing to base that on. You know, I don't, I don't want to see a world full of that. That sounds negative, but, you know, I hope there's a way for people to again embrace taking the time to be thoughtful and, you know, to make a, to make an informed decision. Yeah. I love that answer. And part like my working hypothesis as to where there may be a general type of solution to this, this issue of sort of like quick snackable information versus deep, um, you know, contextually rich information. Yeah. I think, it, I think actually it just you know, being someone that likes to take challenges on himself. And I think you're similar, like maybe it's a creative challenge and I think it's a storytelling challenge. And, you know, when you think about where those snackable snippets are coming, like my wife was cracking up on the couch last night. She wasn't really into Fargo. We're watching Fargo right now. She's not into that. I'm like, what are you laughing at? She's watching TikTok. Yeah. Um, and, and if she's not on TikTok and, you know, maybe she's scrolling Instagram. So these are these places for getting these snackables. I think, mm -hmm. I think there's an, a particular challenge for brands, for organizations, for nonprofits uh, that are looking to champion important topics and, and share and distribute very um, valuable information to populations to continue to, and it's not because it's not that brands and orgs haven't, but continue to just get really, really freaking creative mm. with how they do tell as contextually rich stories as possible in snackable bite sizes on social platforms yeah. um, that pull people into like a, you know, a longer reel, yeah. you yeah. know, on Instagram. Um, so, so that's my, my hopeful kind of response to you is sort of, it put, you know, I think it's a creative challenge, mm. um, that hopefully we can meet. I like that. I like that. I mean, I, I think that so often now brands are, they're going, they're sort of bifurcated, you know, a brand wants to be entertaining. OK, 
okay? Um, and, and you see that on TikTok and you see that on Instagram and you see that on Facebook. Their, their persona is that of approachable and maybe they're funny or, you know, maybe they've got this visual element that they're really trying to push. But they also want to inform, which is interesting. You know, there's education, but then there's, you know, brands need to talk about the right things. Brands need, you know, I don't need you to tell me if you're an auto dealer, what recipe I should be following. That's just goofy. That's just, that doesn't, I can't connect those dots. And if anything, it gets me a little anti, you know, uh, I understand you're throwing the kitchen sink at it, but give it a little more thought before you do that. And, and I think it's up to marketers and I think it's up to brands to first do a very good job of establishing who are they? Who do they want to be? What are the pillars of the brand? What are the what are the topics they do want to talk about? Maybe entertainment is over here and education is over here. And be careful about having them cross too much. Um, and those are really good conversations to have. And, and brands have got the bully pulpit. They should play a role in those different things. But I like what you said a lot about a brand maybe teasing through social to go see the rest of the reel. Yeah. And understand what they're really trying to say. Yeah. The, the, the brand that comes to mind and listeners may not know this. Um, I oftentimes surprise people with, with this one, but like, look at Square, the payment processing company. They've won awards at Sundance for original programming, for, for documentaries. Uh, the only time the Square brand shows up, and so this is a long form solution mm -hmm. that that I'm I'm proposing um as opposed to and maybe you could and you could still tease that 90 minute doc on on Instagram in the example I gave but but square made a deliberate effort to cover important causes that they were willing to go out and say as a brand we stand for x y and z and we're going to underwrite the development and production and distribution of these projects which have nothing to do with payment processing um, and the only time the Square brand shows up as, is that it is the brought to you by sponsor yep. of the content. And then it goes and shows up as premium video to support in an ad-free or ad-supported connected TV environment where people are willing to give more of their attention. And so that's another thing that I think is, is interesting for brands to, to really think through is forget like you have your account-based marketing and you have your self-aligned sort of promotional material and content that's tied to product and, and, and sales, et cetera, et cetera. But there's this other way, you know, you really want to, if you really want to entertain, we'll just take a very different approach, maybe engage with a creative group and bring the answer this question I asked you, which led to this, this conversation yeah. right now, what matters to the world? Right. What matters to you as a brand? What culture do you want to have? What, what do you want to stand for? How do you want to impress upon humans? And go show up in the world that way because we do live in an attention economy and that attention is at a premium. And if you want it, then you don't need to go and create a short or long form piece of content on payment processing best practices can go create a documentary on climate change and square can have far greater widespread appeal to 
humans across the globe than it ever could doing sort of a product marketing video. So I think that's that's another interesting area I think brands have to go. And and I'm I'm curious if as as clients come to you and and give and sort of challenge you um, in ways where maybe they come in with like a, a, a almost a fixed ask, mm-hmm. like how how much you're able to like broaden their thinking into some of the some of the more you know creatively inclined uh, non traditional ways of, of developing content solutions that really can like cut into the zeitgeist. Well. I mean, every every agency owner's dream, you know, is to have clients <laughs> who say, "Look, we're gonna, we're gonna, we want to do something different. Let's mix it up. We're gonna invest in that. We really are." Um, there are only so many Red Bulls and so many Harley Davidsons and you know so many Fords with that incredible high wire, you know, across the canyon yeah. and stuff. A di- great additional examples, by the way, of companies that have just yeah, embraced I mean, that square model. Yeah, and it's and it makes. I mean, for Red Bull, Red Bull, the best example. Yeah, perfect sense. Yeah. 50 miles yeah. up jumping out of a capsule and yeah. I just I just watched some guy setting a new speed record in his car going up Mount Washington this is just, I'll send you the video yeah. it's absolutely incredible <laughs> um, you know I, I think maybe it's incumbent upon us to educate prospective clients and clients to the power of rethinking about your brand um, and you know trying new channels and trying new approaches that are more about education and I don't want to say persona development, but maybe they're more about how you, Zach, can help change the world and how you can improve the world and how you can do your bit. But it's the brand that's encouraging you to do that. It's showing you through example, whether it's via video, which is probably the most powerful platform we could be talking about. Um, you're more of a savant with connect TV and you're able to make those ties and you're able to see how these brands, you know, are, that's logical for connect TV. I think a lot, you asked about our brands. I mean, our, our, we have just tremendous clients. Um, and you know, some of the better ones do say, yeah, we're talking about these things that we know we need to get done with you, but let's look two or three years down the road. You know, where do we want to be? Those are the best sessions of all. I mean, they, they truly are. And the ones who see it through, uh, we had one, one retail brand we worked with um, that was very mission-based. And it's, it's an incredible brand, incredible mission. And everyone who worked on it here, I mean, people here fought to work on that brand you know, because they were so committed. Um, we've, we've had several of those in the past and it really, do, it does get us fired up. You know, when we're off shooting video for them, okay, it's not Red Bull, it's not race car, it's not jumping out of a spacecraft, but, um, you know, we bring our own sense of, you know, this is awesome to it. And it's a great environment for your, for your employees you know, to be part of that. It really is. Um, we need more of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Kim, this has been great, man. What's on? T- it's we're heading into Labor Day weekend. Yeah. What's what's going on in the Brown family? What do you got going on? Well, the tall ships are in uh, are up in the North Shore, so I think maybe taking a little run out there and, and taking a look at the tall ships will be cool. I still have one kid in college, so we're packing her up on Monday, and uh, she goes back. Um, other than that, we'll find some friends to spend some time with, and uh, pretty chill. 
Nice. It's going to be pretty chill. Sounds lovely. Same, uh, on, same so. on this end. It, it looks like we're having some. So it's been pretty rainy. I think all the rain this week will will let up. It looks like uh, I saw seventy five and sunny on That's Saturday. There haven't been enough awesome. beach days this summer, awesome. so I think I might find myself at a local Beverly Beach. Um, yeah, it's on, definitely on time end. to get the last swims in. No, no doubt about it. Def- definitely. No doubt well, about that, it. well, that water's still warm too. You got it. Yeah. This has been a pleasure. Awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks for everything. Hey, totally appreciate it. All right. Cheers. All right, man. All right. Cheers, Boston.